Hey everyone, welcome to the Lancaster Golf Performance Podcast. My name is Cam Lancaster, your host. So today our guest is Victor Chilchelski, and he's the Director of Instruction out at Golf and Country Club. He's also a professional golfer. So Victor is a very knowledgeable guy. You know, if you know, if you've been involved in the golf Ontario scene, you'll definitely know who Victor is. And if you don't, you know, get out your notebook and really take a lot of notes as to some of the little things that he is saying about how to improve. You know, I find found for me, there's a lot of little nuggets that I took out of it for my own students, my own game, which I applied and definitely helped me get to another level. So just as a side note, this was recorded about six to eight months ago during the last lockdown. So some of the references might be just a little bit out of date. But aside from that, you're going to get a lot of knowledge out of this. Enjoy the show. I'm sure it's a bit of chaos on your end with golf opening up again, eh? No, oh, it's exciting. I know. It's, yeah. it's about time, right? Five weeks in the waiting. Good chaos. Yeah. What have you been up to uh, during the break? Honestly, like Groundhog Day, man. Like the same day over and over and over. Just wake up, lift, eat, you know, take swings, chip, putt, yeah. watch TV, nothing. Just try and stay busy somehow, eh? Yeah, just honestly, just anything to get a little bit ahead of everyone else. <laughs> I agree with that. Are you still playing competitively? Or? Yeah, trying to. The last couple of seasons, I've been playing pretty competitively. So uh, just nice. Ontario PGA stuff and Canadian PGA stuff. But uh, yeah. this schedule doesn't allow me to to too too much travel anymore, you know? I know. Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing. I mean, I myself, I'm just getting back into it competitively. But mm-hmm. I find yeah. it's a really good time to kind of like go deep on the skill sets that you know might be lacking like that's for me has been huge is just i basically re retaught myself the swing um in a different way um, i see that like the trevino pattern you look like mo norman man i'm trying yeah i mean you know i was like for for years just like got away with a good short game right and then right. when it came to getting to the college level hitting it 40 yards left and 40 yards right on command was never really going to get me to the next level right so it's right. it's just been kind of a process of like I, you know, I think if you're on both ends of the game, driving and then putting, if you're, you know, it's like the old saying, it goes drive, drive for show, putt for dough. It really means something, right. And it makes the game a lot easier. So, you know, I could, I could go out and shoot a 73 or four with hitting, you know, seven greens, six greens. Right. I could, I was never the type of ball striker um, that, uh, that, you know, could, could go into the sixties just because, you know, I didn't hit enough greens. Right. Right. But that's, that's a good skill to have, right? That grinding in that short game. And then when the ball striking does come, as long as you don't neglect the short game, you're going to be a killer. Yeah. Hopefully that's the goal, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, that, man, I, I just want to say thanks for uh, joining me, you know, um, growing yeah. up. Uh, how actually, how old are you, Vic? 36. 36. Okay. Yeah. So you're like, uh, like nine years ahead of me. I always remember kind of, you're kind of one of those names that I remember looking up to from like a, you know, as a role model competitively. So you know, thanks for uh, taking your game to where it was because it definitely pushed me. Yeah, that was fun. I wish I worked there a little harder, to be honest. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll just kind of go into it naturally, right? Like, uh, and, you know, if you don't worry, if you say anything stupid, I can edit it out. Or if I say anything yeah. stupid, I'll edit it Sounds out. Good. So um, I just kind of want to know a little bit more about what makes you tick and as a player and a coach and just kind of to go back to when you were a junior, like what were some of your early influences that helped you get to that level that you, you got to? Mm-hmm. Well, I was pretty lucky. Uh, I, the place I coach now is where I grew up. So it's, uh, I kind of came full circle, which is always fun to do. Yeah. Uh, I so, golf, right? Yeah. Golf country club. So yeah. uh, it's uh, it's a hidden gem, man. The, the place is, is so amazing. And even now, like I'll just, I never get bored of it. Right. It's a Stanley Thompson, 120 years old, 1906. So it's uh, you learn how to shape your shots. Right. So 
you know, even though it's not tremendously long, you know, most of the par fours are like, you know, 380, 370, and then we got a bunch of long ones too, but uh, those holes, you can't just blast driver and hit wedge. You got to maneuver around trees and around bunkers. You got to place your golf ball. So it's more of a, a course where you got to hit it to hundred yards. And sometimes it's pretty challenging, right? So yeah. growing up, that was a, <clears throat> a huge influence on, on my game, just learning and understanding how to, how to actually golf, how to shape a golf shot, how to hit the golf ball lower, higher, hit draws, hit punch shots, hit all these kinds of things. So yeah, where a lot of those courses nowadays where I find even some of the kids that I coach outside of golf, it's, uh, you know, they're these progressive links courses, a big land wide open and, you know, they blast dog everywhere and, you know, their ball striking is pretty sound, but then all of a sudden they go to a college course um, and it's tight and it's long, the weather is nasty. And all of a sudden there's a lot of things that make them uncomfortable and, mm-hmm. and things start going sideways in a hurry. Right. So, you know, uh, you know, I'm, we all know in golf, like momentum shifts one way or another. And when it starts going sideways, if you don't have, you know, some structure or, or some systems in place to kind of rein it in a little bit, you're, you're going to have a tough day. Yeah. You have to have the ability to make adjustments. And I think kind of growing up in an environment like that just naturally teaches you that I've actually played golf just once before. No, oh, nice. Uh, I was buddies with, uh, you probably know them, Brent McKenzie and Brendan Leonard growing of up. Of course. Yeah. And yeah. That's the one time I went out there with them and I went with my older brother too. And I was like, that's my style of course. I grew up, yeah. do you ever play Glendale in, in the Hamilton area? You know, I haven't, no, I heard good things up. So it's similar. It's just a little small, like Glendale's a little smaller, a little slopier. Um, I think it's like 300 yards shorter, but it's same, same sort of design, like same sort of feel. Right. But, uh, man, Galt's pure. Yeah. Like it's one of those hidden gems that like, how, how long is it from the tips? Uh, 64, just shy 64. of 64. Right. Okay. And, but, uh, we did some changes maybe, I don't know, 15 years ago where we, uh, we blasted down the river and we put a lot of water in onto the back nine. So, oh, nice. uh, you know, with, now we got, our finishing holes are pretty strong. The, the front side's like really technical, it's shorter, <clears throat> it's tighter, really tree line where the back nine opens up a little bit down on the river. And, you know, we got some holes, you know, our f- 15's a par five. That's, I think it's like 560. And then a solid par three, that's 180 over water. And then 17 and 18 are monsters at like 460 and 465. So pretty good for us to finish. Yeah, that's sweet. I, I, you know, I remember that course fondly. And then I, so I went off to, after Glendale, I went to Hamilton and I found similarities in Hamilton and, and Glen and uh, Galt for sure. Just that yeah. kind of old fashioned, you know, tree line, you know, in your face kind of course. Right. I think that's why I always played so well at Hamilton. It was, it was close to home and it felt like home on the golf course. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. It's that, it's kind of that, just that typical Canadian design, you know? Okay. Um, so growing up at Galt, like who are some of the influences uh, you know, coaches or fellow players that helped kind of get you to that level? You know what? We were lucky uh, when, when I was younger, you know, I started playing golf when I was 13 and, and I started playing competitively when I was 14. And my best buddy that lives in LA now, uh, he was, he was unbelievable when he was younger. He was, you know, you know, top two in Ontario and the Bantams. And, um, you know, when I changed schools in grade six, I was, I was a basketball player. Right. Um, so I moved over and all of a sudden I met, Greg, who is, you know, uh, a golfer, preppy, you know, completely different to, to what I was and where I came from. Yeah. And uh, we, he was just the first buddy I met and realized that he was amazing at the game. And that uh, that year, that summer, he took me out to, to golf and I just got hooked and right away. So, 
You know, I would say my peers were probably the biggest influence and Galt had, uh, had an amazing junior program when I was younger. We had so many young kids that were spectacular, right? The McKenzie's to, to Lenny, to, you know, to Zoltan Vares and, and um, to David Anthony, like these guys that played, you know, US AMs, US juniors, Canadian AMs, like really, really solid players. So um, we didn't have much of a practice facility there. We just kind of had a, a chipping green and a wedge area. We didn't even have a range, um, but it was just constant chipping, pitching, potting, mm. gambling, you know, for milkshakes and whatnot. So <laughs> the competitive kind of atmosphere was there. We had, you know, probably 50 kids that tried to compete in, you know, provincial and national wow. events and, and it, not that they, that they always did, but they always tried to compete and, and play. And, and golf was really awesome for, you know, taking care of the juniors and, and covering entry fees. And, you know, the, uh, you know, I, I didn't come from a wealthy family. And when I was playing, you know, I started breaking through, you know, going to Canadian AMs and all these different things. I was lucky enough to, that was kind of my goal to finish top three every single year so I can make it onto the Ontario team. So my, my, my trip got funded. But yeah. there was times where it didn't and, you know, Gulp pulled together and they, you know, club championships, all those big events, they put hats in, in the middle and everyone threw in 20 bucks. And all of a sudden at the end of the weekend, there was two or three grand for me to go away and play in these events. Wow. That's cool. So you almost had probably a different motivation than the preppy country club kid. Like you were almost playing for money in a sense. Yeah, it was fun. It was just, uh, I've always been a competitive person, right? I've played high level sports in multiple different, different areas. So uh, it was just fun. You know, uh, I got dropped off there. My dad started work at seven. I got dropped off at six 30 before I went to work. And then when it got dark, you know, my parents basically forced me home. So it was, uh, <laughs> it was, I was kind of lucky, right? It was just one of those atmospheres where there were so many great kids and so many lifelong friends that I made. And um, it was just, yeah, it was, it was a blast. Right. That's crazy. Yeah. It, it makes me think about my childhood playing growing up at Glendale and we had probably 80 to 90 kids in our program and I'd say 30 of them were competitive and we ended up having, I think in a two to three year span, five kids come out and play D1, four kids played D1 and then one kid played D2. And uh, I, I think it's something that kind of slowly, I don't know if you experienced this at all, maybe by the time you were past the age of 18, I just saw it slowly year by year slowing down less and less kids in the junior programs year by year. I think we started with like 80 to 90 kids and we ended up with like 25 within a 10 year span. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of, it's one of those things where I think it's going to, I think a trajectory is going to come back now with all the people getting into golf. Did you see that at all? You know what, uh, to a T, like it's exactly not to jump ahead, but that's the reason I got basically into coaching or, or decided that it's going to be my profession. But uh, um, yeah, there was a huge dip and then, you know, everything kind of went to to the wayside and nobody really cared about golf and it kind of just ex extinguished a little bit. And then, you know, things started ramping up and now obviously through COVID and all these weird times, the kids last year, I saw so many young kids that were, that were new to me and new to golf that, that came to play. And so it was pretty exciting to see a bunch of fresh faces and kids learning the game and understanding it. And um, it was kind of, it reminded me of that, you know, 96 to 2000 era where Tiger was just dominant and you just saw this huge influx of junior golf and golf just became a little bit cooler. Right. And yeah, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, through COVID one way or another, if it's uh, you know, it was a good thing for the golf industry, obviously, but terrible for, for everyone else. But um, you know, you saw all these kids, they had nothing else to do. There was no baseball, there was no soccer, there was no summer hockey, there's no lacrosse. And all of a sudden golf got the okay, got the nod to go. So 
you saw all these multi-sport athletes kind of coming over and it was pretty cool to see. Yeah, seriously. I think golf is one of those things too, where the biggest challenge I think is getting people in the door. And then once they're in the door, then they're hooked. Right. And yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I saw, I saw it happen over the years, just in terms of, I think there was two kind of booms. There was like the, the Tiger Woods boom and then the Mike Weir boom in Canada. Right. And it'd be, it'd be interesting to see a guy like Corey Connors, Mackenzie Hughes, win a major, like even Corey's up there at the lead, the PGA this week. And yeah. I think that would have a, you know, uh, like a huge effect on, you know, just juniors wanting to get into it just, you know, seeing, you know, seeing that. And it's, it's been cool to see all the Canadians have success recently, even, even Weirzy winning on the senior tour. That was, uh, I never thought that day would come for him. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. And honestly, the last two or three years, I've saw a massive influx with, with ladies golf, right? Brooke Henderson's been dominating and killing it. So you're seeing that same kind of Mike Weirboom on, on the, the young lady side where, all these young girls are, you know, she's, she's a hero now. Like maybe one 10 times, I think it is now. Like 10 times. Yeah. She's, she's a killer. She, you know, basically now I would say she's probably the best Canadian, right? Like it's gotta be obviously weird. He's up there and he's, he's notable and he's, he's been holding the reins forever, but like, she's probably going to go down as one of one of, or if not the best Canadian golfer of all time. I think so. I think she could retire at this point and pretty much be there. Right. Which yeah. is pretty crazy. Um, so, so if it can kind of go back again to your, your days growing up at Galt, were there any, was it strictly the kind of the competitive environment that really developed your skill set, or were there certain coaches or, you know, um, like I guess older influences that allowed you to get to your level? Yeah. You know what? Coaching wasn't really a thing back then. You know, I, I talk about it with all my competitive kids now and like, you know, there was, there was great pros, but, mm -hmm. uh, and there was members that guided us through, right? So one of my earlier influences was this guy named Sandy Forbes, right? So this dude was 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 a legend. He basically taught Ian Leggett how to golf. Wow. Right? So yeah, so back in the day, Leggett played, you know, in Cambridge. He's from Cambridge, won on the PGA Tour. And, mm -hmm. um, and Sandy was this super nice gentleman. And um, he basically coached Ian through his younger years and then obviously Ian exploded and did his own thing. But, um, you know, I, I saw this old gentleman always tee off on his own, you know, four o'clock every day. And then I worked in the bag shop. That's kind of how I got my first membership because my parents couldn't afford it. So, uh, working at the bag shop was a cool opportunity because you got unlimited golf as long, you know, in restricted times. Yeah. Every single time I got off work at, you know, three 30 or whatever, I would just kind of hang out on the first tee, hoping that Mr. Forbes would come around and he, he loved the junior. So you always like, Hey, come on, come on. Right. So I learned awesome. so many different kinds of shots and things that I would never really understand at a young age from him. And, and, you know, he was, can't remember when he passed away, but you know, up until his late seventies, he was shooting his age on a regular basis. You know, he was this, he was this big, you know, six, three man. And he would just kind of stripe driver, never miss the fairway down the middle. Always called it his $10,000 club. He's like, you know, <laughs> if you wanted to buy this thing from me, he's like, I probably wouldn't even let it go for $10,000. All right. So, uh, so it's cool. pretty cool. So, you know, there was a lot of like members and that kind of stuff, but yeah, for, for coaching it, there really wasn't an opportunity. There wasn't really anyone that was in it. There was a strong junior program and we had lots of volunteers and lots of great people around us that, that helped us and, and created these events and, and, uh, you know, kind of guided us in the right direction. They're more like mentors, but mm -hmm. they, uh, there was very little from the technical side of the game or like, Hey, this is how you do this, or let's work on this. It was just, it was just us, you know, running around kind of like Caddyshack and, and, you know, just being menaces all over the golf course and, 
and having fun and learning and you yeah. know so that's kind of how it, it evolved and adapted you know one person was really good at one thing and all of a sudden you just wanted to practice with them and and then you learned how to hit that shot or you learned their wrist action and you just we kind of learned by mimicking mimicking and and working at it right it's kind of similar to like what the guys are doing on the PJ tour right now, you know, Tiger had a hiatus and JT's got the best short game of all time. Why do you think Tiger's inviting him to his house to work on chips and pitches and whatever he's seeing what's, what's making JT so good. And he wants that competitive edge and he wants to mimic whatever he's doing and what's creating success for him on the golf course. Right. Yeah. I think that's so important. I think that, you know, that's the kind of the one thing that is maybe, could be falling away now with so many coaches in the game is that that competitive environment uh, that, you know, that really molds players like you talked about is, you know, I, th I think having both of them is what, what makes killer right on the golf course. Um, yeah. that, you know, your, your experience of growing up at golf sounds similar to mine. I, I remember always requesting for the morning shift because I can never play in the mornings as a bag. I was a bag boy from 6am right. to 1pm. I'd be completely gassed go sleep in sleep in the basement at Glendale and then go out and play, try and play 36 or, you know, right. until it was dark. And that was like my summer. So, yeah. um, yeah, that, that really, uh, rings a bell for me. What so, a dream though. Like that's yeah, seriously, back. I took it for granted. You know, I took it for granted. And then when it all went away, getting into, into the corporate world and going away from golf, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah. You, you know, you, you kind of miss what you used to have and now getting back into it. It's like, you know, this is, uh, I'm going nowhere. <laughs> uh, so, you know, talk to me about wh why you got into coaching. Um, like, was it just sort of a natural thing or was it, you know, you had a clear intention as to why you wanted to kind of pass along the wisdom that you were lucky to have? So it's a funny thing. Um, you know, I played competitive golf for my entire life, basically. Right. I traveled, you know, I was, I was pretty fortunate to be able to travel the world and, and play some high end events and, and then, uh, had a pretty, you know, okay career as a professional. And then after that, I just kind of wanted to get out of golf. I gave myself uh, basically a cutoff date, right? When I was 30 years old, and it's like, that's mm -hmm. it. You're done. If you're, if you're not, you know, you know, putting millions in your bank, you're, you're, you're done. So I kind of gave myself a cutoff. And then from there, my mentality completely shifted where I just wanted to, if I was getting out of golf, that was a clear cut for me. I'm, I'm out of golf. So I didn't golf for probably a year and a half to two years. And I just kind of completely wow. got away from it. And you see that so, so many times with, um, you know, hockey players and other people, like the moment they're done their competitive journey, they just kind of like the burnout kind of happens and they realize it. And it's like, you know what, I can't do this socially right now. I need to like completely get out and, and change my mentality and put all of those hours and that time and the, that process into something else that's going to make me successful. Mm -hmm. right, so, so I kind of did that. But, uh, and then I went, same thing. I went into the corporate world, went into some digital marketing, went into insurance, couple, couple things. And it was okay. You know, it's, it's all right for a while, you know, I enjoyed wearing suits and then and I kind of didn't. And then, you know, it was just, it was just too much. And, uh, there was an opportunity that came about where, and like, to your question, I always kind of taught, you know, when I played in pro-ams and stuff, I was always a social guy that, you know, wanted to get to know the guys that I was with, wanted to help them out a little bit. So the social kind of aspect was, came really easy to me. Right. So uh, helping people with golf and giving them tips is just something I did naturally my entire life with all of my buddies, with people that I played with, with strangers. And I guess uh, just my demeanor and the way I went about it was pretty comforting to a lot of people. And they, they took the, the, the tips or the drills or whatever. And, um, 
So that was kind of all, always instilled in me. And even when I did transition into the corporate world, all of my buddies, I, you know, I would say probably 15, 20 of them, including a couple, two very close friends of mine were like, you need to get into coaching. This is what you do. You like, you don't recognize how good you are at it. Like let's monetize this and you can actually help and build junior programs, do whatever you want to do, whatever direction you want to get into. But coaching is something that comes naturally. You enjoy it and you like seeing people evolve and, and get better. And then I fought it. I fought it for like <laughs> for probably three years. And then, you know, I kept hearing it. I kept hearing it. And then slowly just getting back into golf and, and, you know, that year and a half hiatus I took when I started playing again and uh, I started playing some competitive events. I, I tried to get my amateur status back. I, uh, I went for one tournament. I was like, oh, this is brutal. I'm like, I, I, I got to compete. I got to, if I'm going to compete, I got to compete against the best. Mm -hmm. So, so it's hilarious. I waited two years without golfing and then I played in one event and I was like, no, I got to, so I turned pro again. <laughs> cool. Very cool. But, uh, but yeah, so there was an opportunity at, uh, at golf where a lot of my uh, close friends growing up there having kids and, and um, or if it was, you know, younger brothers or whatever, there was just, there seemed like there was kind of a tipping point where the junior program was, was kind of moving in the wrong direction and there really wasn't any and uh, there wasn't, uh, you know, people just didn't have the time maybe to put into it. And there was a couple of people that were volunteering, but, you know, they had jobs, they had, you know, tons of things going on and um, it just kind of, happened in the right time and I came up with an idea with uh, a bunch of friends of mine that wanted me to coach their kids and I pitched it to the club and said let me take over the junior program and then let me take over instruction and then it just kind of snowballed from there. That's incredible man what a, what a journey right and uh, I think it's the journey of a lot of athletes right and I think every athlete at some stage uh, you know unless you unless you make it your your life you kind of face that burnout stage right I know I faced it. Both my brothers who played in the NCAA, they faced it. I've had a lot of buddies who've had to face that. It's a, it's that, that kind of stage where you have to give up what you've, what you've put your, your heart and soul into, you know, yeah. the years or two years or three years after it is, it can be a bit of a, a rough road. Right. Or it can be a relief. Right. I find for some people it for me, it was like, it was a partly a relief and then partly like, you know, what did I leave on the table? Like what, what more could I have put into it? Um, but I think it's some, it's something that like, I'm sure you learned, you, you felt this too. me going, I, I have a very similar journey to you. I just didn't make, make it to nearly as high of a level as you in, in competitive golf, but went away from it, went to school for accounting, uh, ran a business, got into the corporate world, and then slowly got my way back into golf after I'd pretty much given up golf, you know, right. because I was just kind of sick of the game, but you, I went off and learned all these skill sets that really applied to golf. Uh, in terms of, you know, just simple stuff like running a business, I learned, you know, how, how important being organized is and then applying that to your practice session or giving a practice session to a client, uh, you know, stuff like, you know, going through mental hardship with starting a business and how much hours that takes and then applying it to your golf game, applying it to the message you give to other people. So were there things along the journey of going away from golf and coming back that you felt like, oh, I wish I knew this then? Yeah. And uh, obviously you, you pick up stuff in every job or every person you meet, right? There's always influences, even if they're very small that, you know, like they rub certain things, right? Like there's certain habits and there's certain things that you pick up along the way. But uh, I really found it once I got back into golf, right? It was kind of like a reset for me and a fresh start. And mm -hmm. then I started kind of 
you know, obviously coaching full time. And then, you know, once I started coaching, I was like, I was into the game, I was practicing and chipping. And then I was like, I got, I got to get back into it myself. Right. So like, bug. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, like you go out and shoot 74 and I'm like, no, that's, that's just never going to work. Right. So, um, <laughs> yeah. So then, then you start putting in a little bit of time and, you know, I remember a couple of years ago when I started playing professional or playing like a little bit of professional golf again, I, <laughs> I put one hour of work a weekend. Right. That's just all I had. Right. I was, I was focused on growing the business and I was focusing on on coaching. And so at one hour and then it was terrible. Right. So, you know, I competed and then my game was all up and down. But there's a lot of things now like I'm, I'm to three hours a week and that's just all I can kind of handle right now. And yeah, but those those three hours of focus practice, I tell some of my competitive kids that are probably more focused and I get more out of it than I did in my 20 to 25 hours of practice when I was actually playing professional golf and convincing myself that I was working hard. Wow. So yeah, this is kind of an interesting, like I'm, I'm going to be selfish here and ask for my own, just my own game. And, you know, maybe people can learn from this because I, through this lockdown, I've had, you know, 20, 25, 30 hours to put time into my own game. So right. now going back into coaching, I know it's going to be like the three hours you said. So when you have only three hours, four hours to work towards, and, and this is, you know, for probably 95% of golfers, that's all they have on a, on a weekly basis. Are you focusing like strictly on weaknesses or are you focusing on key skill sets? What, what do you feel like really, or is it, you know, it's specific to you, right? Like where do you kind of define that, that targeted time to work toward? Yeah. So I keep pretty detailed stats. So that helps. Right. So okay. it depends on what I want to, what I want to work on. Right. Obviously if you work on your weaknesses, you neglect your strengths and your strengths are the ones that make you successful through the round of golf. Right. So we're talking about 70 different shots. You know, there's certain things that, you know, that are going to kind of fluctuate up and down. So you can't neglect your strengths because those are the things that kind of get you there. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but for my three hours, it's all block practice, which is like, I find so many, even like, again, some of the really high end players, I coach a lot of mid-am guys and, you know, one of my good buddies and, uh, you know, competitive, extremely good practices, nonstop. has got a profession that, that gives him time, but um, he practices for feel. Right. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But there's certain things that when you're working on on functionality and you're working on very specific things where you need to do some block practice as well. Right. So when I put in my time, it's a lot of drills. It's not just going out and hitting golf balls. Everything mm-hmm. is very clear cut and structured, which I kind of think I've never really had in my life. Right. So I structured. Yeah. Short game. This is what I'm going to do. But now, like I know, hey, this is 30 minutes. Then I take a little five-minute breather. I check Insta. I do whatever. I send a couple emails. I give myself a reset. And then my next half an hour is whatever it is. And then I take a break for 10 minutes, you know, get something to eat real quick. Again, check my emails, do whatever I got to do work-wise, and then I'm back. So I'm constantly having these little resets that are kind of getting me away from what I was thinking about, right? The, the one thing that I hate is like mindless practice when people are just hitting mm-hmm. golf balls and I go up to somebody and could be a tour player. And I'm like, you know, what are you working on? Oh, I don't know. What do you mean? You don't know? Like everything should be structured and everyone's working on something, you know, JT is, you can see now Ricky, these guys, they have these little triggers in their pre-shot routine that Mike Weir first invented, you know, the little position one drill, because that is something that they struggle with. So every single time, even in real world situations, when they're on the golf course, they are implementing the structure and going through their motions. So they're consistent 
And uh, so that's one of the things that I try to implement as much when, you know, the little time that I have is if I'm putting, I'm not just rolling eggs and doing whatever yeah. I'm okay. I'm doing a line drill here for 15 minutes of block practice. Then I'm going, you know, parallel to that line drill with no line drill to get my eyes and my body adjusted away from a structured line. Then I'm doing this, then I'm going into pitching and chipping. So there's always little tips and tricks that I do, which drill first and then try to implement a little bit more of a real world feel scenario while still having that structure of what I just tried to accomplish. I like that. Uh, you're, uh, you're kind of calling me on my shit here because I've been having some mindless practice myself, but you know, and, and because I've just had the time, right? So right. That, that's interesting. Now, when you're determining what drills you're, you're trying to work on, is it, is it swing tendencies that have always come up? Like, are you tracking this in a spreadsheet or in a notebook? Or is it just kind of like, you're going based upon maybe a stat and then that stat gives you a feeling as to what you, you need to progress towards. Yeah. So uh, there's uh, on course stuff. There's a few apps that I use to actually track, you know, strokes gained and in certain mm -hmm. tendencies and certain things that I do. But when it's been like block practice, like now just getting golf balls in the garage, you know, uh, the technology and stuff that we have, you know, the foresight machines or track mans and all these different things. And obviously a lot of people don't have access to that through the winter, right? Those, those pieces are pretty expensive, but um, you know, I'm fortunate enough to, to have one of those and, and use it through work. And that's one of the pieces of technology that I have. So um, it's just amazing how much data you can collect and how mm. specific you can be. And then there's, there's a hindrance to that as well, right? So there's, you know, some people that are extremely analytical and they go down by the numbers and it just gets really into your own head about certain things. <clears throat> so, you know, one of the analytical guys that I coach, you know, he went from a 26 handicap, I think four and a half or five years ago. Now he's down to a solid three. So he's, wow. he's changed, you know, 23 and, but he's completely evolved and his work ethic is strong. And um, and he just, he has a passion for the game, but he's very data driven and very analytical. So, and I like that for certain things. And, mm -hmm. and uh, it's funny where I'm sure you've always heard, and I've been a culprit and seeing it myself, I'm a field player or I'm this, I'm more into mechanics or whatever, but would like, you need to have structure of both, right? So you yeah. need to understand a little bit of the mechanics and what you're actually doing or what you're trying to create. And there's always a feel for that structure. Right. So this feel versus real thing. Right. So that could be an actual feel to mechanics like equation where, hey, this is what you're trying to do. This is my feel. But we're doing that in a structured environment where that's where it needs to be on a regular basis. Right. So, mm -hmm. you know, when it comes from, you know, path or whatever. So, um, yeah, I, I track a lot of my data and a lot of uh, things through, you know, that technology. And then when uh, I'm constantly using my phone to, to videotape myself and and making sure that I don't slide into that mindless practice. I'm, I'm always looking at either, you know, carry numbers, spin rates and that kind of stuff, or I'm looking at positions and angles and where I'm at and where I want to be just to make sure that it's not always going to be perfect, but mm -hmm. just to make sure that I'm somewhere in the zone of, I can handle it when I'm on the golf course and make a consistent swing in somewhat of a repeatable path. I love all that, man. That's, I think that's going to give people a lot to, to chew on, right? Because mindless practice is what you see when you go into any putting green or any driving range. Uh, you know, even even good golfers, you know, will maybe hit a couple of wedges and then rip driver, you know, within within 10 minutes. And then they're just it's you know, it's playing Russian roulette. You don't know what's going to show up that day. Um, and you might, you know, have a good day where your body's feeling good and the wind is calm and then you, you start hitting it well. But it's just, 
you know, anything can come up. Right. So what would you say to the golfer? And there's, I think a good amount of golfers out there that maybe don't have a foresight. They just have maybe a net in their garage and even, you know, in the lockdown. And then even now after it struggling to get a tee time where they want to, they have hours to work on their game, but maybe all they have is, is just that, you know, empty net. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know what? Everyone's got a cell phone nowadays. Right. So that is one of the most powerful tools in our world right now. So you can record yourself and you can kind of be your own coach or, you know, I got even when I'm not doing, uh, you know, FaceTime lessons or anything like that. I encourage all my juniors, I'm like, take videos of yourself. And then if you have a question or something, just fire it off to me, send me a text or shoot right. me an email. And when I get to it, I'll get to it and I'll look at it and be like, yeah, you're, you're right on, on the money or what, what's going on here? Why is your wrist in this position? What, what happened? Right. So, you know, it's a challenging thing where there's so many different things that can happen in a golf swing and the timing and the sequence mm -hmm. all has to be in the right time. So, you know, tracking that and, and holding yourself accountable, I think is the, the first thing, right? So instead of just beating eggs in the garage, you know, do a drill. So there's always going to be a specific drill that you think might work for you. You might've got it on YouTube or whatever, or from a coach. And, and now Instagram is such a powerful tool where, you know, everyone's scrolling through and, and, and looking at all these different coaches, giving all these different tips. So if you find something that resonates and works with you, then, then do it, try it out. But it's not a, we're trying it for three minutes today and see how it feels it changes weird and change sucks. And that's just the way it goes. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes, you know, when, when I was playing pretty competitive tour golf, it took me three weeks of constant practice to be able to implement something. And I got, I started to get comfortable three weeks later. So when there's certain things, you know, I, I tell, you know, even if it's Lenny or, you know, some of the, the better pros that I help out, it's, uh, when you're going into a tournament and you have a first round on Thursday, you are not working on things on Wednesday and on Tuesday and on Monday, you're working on things three to four weeks in advance. If you mm -hmm. know you're going to a link style golf course or a wide open course and, and you need to hit some trap flighted shots, then you better start working on them when there's no wind and it's perfect. And you're at the driving range and you're hitting trap flighted shots, controlling spin, doing what you need to do because it's just not going to all of a sudden pop in and be great in two days you need weeks and weeks and weeks and that's we're talking about at a at a very high level that's how long it takes so imagine a recreational golfer right just learning one motion that's that's repeatable it's going to take maybe years right so it does um, yeah so holding yourself accountable, you know, with your phone, it's, there's so many of these free apps and you can check your angles and you can mirror it to your favorite golf swing that you like out there mm. and figure out what, why am I snatching this club so far inside in this position where Rory or Adam Scott or whoever is bringing their club perfect in this spot. Okay. Well, let's, let's try to make this super exaggerated, uncomfortable motion to try to get it in here, record it. Let's go back. Yeah. record it let's go back record it let's go back until it's in the right spot and then you work on the next piece that's i mean yeah that's all genius right i think you know what you said about first off having uh having your students just be able to ask one little simple question you know maybe a week after you've had a lesson i think that's so key i'm lucky where i get to um and if scott Cox is listening to this i'm sorry because i blow his email i blow his instagram dm up every day with a swing and He'll, but it's great because he'll give me one little thing and right. I usually have to decode what that means because it's it's on that next level technical but it, I somehow get to understanding it um, but it's good I, I do the same thing with my students I'm like you know hit me up with one little question um, you know obviously I don't want to give out a full lesson because I'm busy but 
I think it's important to have that kind of little little step. And, and to your point about uh, practicing something well in advance and giving it time and giving it time to, you know, giving yourself time to make it your own. That's, that was really the tiger approach. Like he, he practiced his shots based upon the majors, right? So when, when it was January, probably even before that tiger was practicing his master's draw. Right? right. And if he was going to the open, I'm sure before the open, he was practicing his, his flighted stinger shot, right. With his two iron. So, Sure. Uh, I think that's, uh, yeah, that, that's, there's a lot of gold there, man. Um, so just in terms of, uh, you know, what are some, what's some of the things that you like in terms of approaching a swing, when you have someone new come to you, what are some of the things that you take someone through? Like almost thinking about like what your first lesson is like, do you do a lot of observance and do you kind of jump right in? Like, where do you kind of start with someone who you've never worked with before? You know, first lessons are always my favorite. Cause, uh, it's just, yeah. uh, it's, it's brand new. Right. So it's kind of like, for me, golf swings are like solving puzzles. So it's, uh, it's very unique and it's fun. Everyone's got their own thing going on. Right. So one of the first things I ask her, what are your injuries? Right. You got anything that's hindering anything. And it's like, Oh, I got a bad knee or, or bad hip. Cause there's certain things that certain people just cannot do. Right. So if you're working with a young kid, well, they're pretty elastic. They can kind of do whatever they want, unless there's some serious issues with a certain part of their body they you can probably groom them to do whatever you want them to do in a golf swing but when you're starting to see you know some seniors and some some people that have had some you know even a lot of athletes that are now just retired you know there is tons of scar tissue there is there's mm -hmm. things on our body you know i'm sure you're feeling it now you're nine years behind me but i'm feeling it you know i go for a run and all of a sudden my hip hurts for a few days i'm like this is this is bullshit right so, <laughs> um it yeah. just is what it is um, so that's the first thing I kind of, I, you know, I do almost like a, a chiropractic care, you know, what's ailing you, what's going on. And then, uh, you know, I get them to hit 10 shots and through those shots, uh, you know, obviously I take video and, and some data and see what's going on and see what some of the patterns are, but you know, then, you know, it's just about asking them some questions, you know, what, you know, how often do you play, you know, what kind of shot patterns do you see? What are the things that you do very well? What are the things? And I think that's really important. And one of the things that people neglect a lot is, you know, what do you do well? Um, you know, and building on those strengths, you can always build on strengths. It's not just going to be, you know, the best in the world at ball striking, the best in the world at ball striking, you know, these, you know, Corey Connors and, you know, the Hovlins and those, those kids are constantly beating eggs to get better, mm -hmm. to, to, to do their thing. So, you know, and then after 10 swings, we kind of see a bit of a pattern and we see what's going on. And my kind of analogy or the thing that I say in the majority of my first lessons is, especially when they're not brand new, like people that are coming from other coaches or have played the game for a long time. It's, it's kind of like you, you are a puzzle piece, right? So we're dumping all the puzzle, uh, the, the pieces out of the box and we're just going to see what you're, what you got to work with, right? Where are your key fundamentals? Do you have decent grip? Do you have decent posture? Do you have decent alignment? Do you understand what ball position is all about? Do you understand this? And okay, maybe you have two or three out of the main corners, right? Maybe you have all four corners and then we start building your border and then we start building inwards where we go into some of the major color pieces. And then, you know, some of the better players that I coach, you know, they might only have a, a piece two or three missing. And then all of a sudden they work on that piece. And one of their other pieces that was strong now all of a sudden pops out because it's getting neglected. So it's constantly a bit of a juggling act, you know, once you get better. And I'm sure you understand this as well, being through, you know, some competitive golf is there are constant plateaus, right? It doesn't yeah. matter what you're doing. You're constantly plateauing. And then, and then all of a sudden it's, you can't just change from a, a 26 to a three handicap. Like I mentioned, the one student, it's like, 
Now you're working the same amount of time to get 0.1 better in your handicap. It's, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's challenging. So, you know, especially when, when we're beginning, I just kind of like to see what they're all about and some of the benefits that they have from previous golf or previous coaches. And then there's always, you know, certain things. And the one thing that I always focus on is the biggest piece. That's the most important. We're going to, we're going to attack that first. And if you're a multitasker, I'll always try to put in a, you know, all right, try to do this as well and see if they can handle that. One of the important things is not overloading people, right? Having four or five things in your brain swinging, you know, when you're doing it a hundred miles an hour and you're under pressure and you're nervous and your mind goes blank and you don't remember anything that you're doing, it's a challenging thing to, to get your mind to kind of regroup, reset and go back through the catalog of things that you're supposed to be sequencing in, in order. So, uh, you know, I always focus on that one major piece. And then, you know, some of the people that have good hand-eye coordination or can handle a couple different things, you know, like, all right, we're going to do one thing on your backswing that we're going to focus on. Then we're going to do one thing at impact and then one through on your follow-through. Let's see if we can handle those three things. Mm -hmm. I think the pieces thing is huge, right? And I think if you, as a coach or a student, you know, you, you look at your swing as, you know, every little body part is a piece right and it takes getting those pieces right in certain position in, in a 3d plane getting it right right like um i think that's uh you know looking at the golf swing and breaking it down into these, these small little bits is is really the, the way you can sort of start to build a swing right like some people get lucky but i think if you're not looking at the game in pieces that's where you easily plateau and i don't think there's any you know anyone who comes along obviously there's natural ability and uh, and, and talent and all that, but there's the guys who have been able to start this game and within a very short time span, just like the example you mentioned, going from a 26 to a three handicap, there's guys like Larry Nelson who started the game when he was 20 and made the PGA tour by the age of 24. Right. Lee Trevino started the game pretty much. He, he did play earlier, but took it serious when he was 19 and then won the U S open when he was 27. I think if you're constantly in that process of reevaluating your weaknesses and adding adding little pieces and drilling the hell out of them until they're just natural where you don't even have to think about them they just show up on video that's how you can constantly get past that plateau i got to a certain skill level when i was 14 years old and i'm like oh, okay i made the ontario junior i made the canadian junior i made all these tournaments i'm like i'm just gonna have fun this summer right. and i think i missed mc'd everything and like got my ass handed to me and i'm like what the hell's going on and then, I, then you start to put the reliance on the coach but the coach is seeing 70 to 100 clients on a monthly basis so you, it's that kind of piecing it together not letting yourself plateau and not putting too much reliance on your coach is kind of the things that you're 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 talking about so i think you know i'm, I'm a big believer in that uh so vic what, what are some of the uh pieces of technology that you use uh and uh how do you feel like they've really benefited from you because you kind of grew up in a traditional environment before the tech boom and now the tech is here so you know, kind of uh, talk to me about what foresight's like for you and, and other stuff, if, if you do use other stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, when I grew up, it was just, it was trial and error, right? Okay, I'm, I'm hitting a cut shot and these three holes on the golf course eat me alive. How do I turn the ball over, right? And then you just go process of elimination. You snap the hands over aggressively and try to figure out until you learn how to hit a hook and then you learn how to dial that back, right? So that was kind of how I grew up is trial and error and just, figure it out um but now it's so much easier it's it's incredible it's you know uh, i use the the foresight quad at uh, at work and have the mm -hmm. hawk at home so um it's uh, it's not amazing. a bad setup <laughs> yeah it's uh 
it's they're so easy that's just so incredible but again uh, you can get too into the numbers which is a, a real thing that happens on a regular basis and um you know having the convenience and the ease of all right let's see what your pattern is let's see what's going on what your spin rates are right so even when i played competitive golf like i played in my first pga tour event and i was hitting the golf ball really good and i remember um you know there's a couple of people that were like dude you strike it pretty good but these clubs are so bad for you and i'm like what are you talking about i'm like you know that's the newest stuff and it's great and it's like that shaft is terrible you fly it you know 30 yards past me with a driver and i drive you by 20 what's wrong there right so you know this new technology now with custom fitting clubs and and understanding the path and understanding all these different little intricate things that go on in the golf swing you can really dial in certain pieces and get one percent better here one percent better here one percent better here and all of a sudden that kind of groups together and and you're striping it so you know the cool thing is when you're teaching somebody, even if they have a really difficult time, say for an example, like they're struggling with path, right? And, and you know, they're 10 degrees from the outside and they're cutting across the golf ball and the golf ball spinning like crazy and it's going left to right, which is a very common thing for right-handers when they start, right? Slicing mm -hmm. the golf ball. And to teach someone that you have to aim further right in the way you swing, they're like zero percent. That is yeah. that's never going to happen. I'm going to hit it even further right. So yeah. what happens for the first little while? And there's always a system or a structure to to work somebody through that. But to have the technology of hey, we don't care where the golf ball goes, just fire one here and do this a completely opposite extreme motion, right? And then all right, take a look. The path went from ten degrees out to four degrees out. That's amazing. And then four to two, and then now it's pretty square. And all of a sudden, you know, that 60 or 70 yard tail is now only a 20 yard one and you increase distance by 20 percent. And it's like, oh, my God, that's incredible. I'm like, and you still suck. You're not even close yet. Like this is you know, <laughs> we're, we're talking about you're half an hour into this and you've made this improvement. Wait, you know, till we get a few hours into these lessons, like you're going to be hitting high draws. So that's always a fun thing to see when people are like, uh, you know, I, I slice the ball and I'm like, you know what, you're going to hit a draw by the end of today. They're like, there, I've never hit a draw on purpose before in my life. And then, you know, within 10 or 15 minutes, usually you get somebody to, to do the right things and get the path in the right, right, right way. And all of a sudden, you know, they're hitting high draws and hitting it 20 or 30 or 40 yards further with certain clubs and they're astonished. And obviously it's very difficult to translate that onto the golf course. you got to put in as much time as you did on your bad swing as you're on your new swing. And that takes a little bit of time, but it's really cool to see people's excitement and people's eyes light up going, you know, you spend so much money on this golf, on, on this game, on, on clubs, on anything. And, you know, to, to struggle and suck at it is the worst, right? So, yeah, it is. You know, I mean, you know, not to boost our own business, uh, you know, but I think that if you're going to spend money anywhere, don't go to golf town and buy, you know, 2000 bucks worth of equipment that's not fitted to you. Buy something off of Kijiji or Facebook marketplace. That's, you know, a third of the cost and, and go see a pro that, you know, has, I think, a, you know, first a playing history or deep understanding of, of swing mechanics, right? Sure. There's two things that I'm, that kind of, I, that stood out to me based upon your feedback there. And that's, I think, trust and expectations. And I think that it's a good, good thing for students to think about of any level, you know, beginner all the way up to professional is when you go and see a coach is, is having trust in what they're trying to give to you because typically instructors are, I get the sense from you that you're, you know, you're ADD like me, you probably watch a lot of golf and you observe a lot of golf and you study this stuff down to the, 
the little bits and pieces. So trusting what they're giving you is that it's right, right? And then, and then the expectations pieces, you're not gonna, you might get one shot out of 10 of what, what the coach is trying to get to you in, 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 the, in the hour lesson, but just trusting that, you know, give yourself a long or the expectation, like give yourself six months to learn one little piece that, that at least that mindset um, as opposed to one hour, right. And, and, and give it time to breathe. Right. So next question for you, Vic is uh, you, you've, you obviously coach a lot of junior golfers, probably uh, NCAA golfers, professionals. What do you feel like in today's environment is their biggest hurdle uh, in the modern age of golf that maybe wasn't there before? Hmm. That's an interesting one. Obviously, the thing that comes to mind right now is uh, pandemic. <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's a hurdle, right? And I feel terrible for you know some of the young pros that that I talk to and I help out on a regular basis. They got nowhere to play. They can't travel. They can't do anything. You know, mm. it's the they're stuck in. It sucks, right? Hey, great, they're collecting some money from the government, but years are going by, and you know they're just in a. We're it basically we've been in a stalemate. So. Yeah. You know, that, um, that is, you know, very challenging and, uh, you know, not, not only that you can't work, but it's, it's mentally taxing too. Right. And, you know, there's, there's going to be a, a lot of residual stuff that comes out of this, you know, a lot of mental health problems and, you know, with addiction abuse and all that kind of stuff. Right. So, yeah, you know, we're all pretty susceptible to that when we're isolated on our own doing whatever, doing nothing. So that's, uh, you know, the pandemic's been hurdle, but obviously a lot of people have been, you know, going through it and dealing with it. So other than that hurdles, um, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think over information, there's a, a lot of, you know, uh, some of the, the better players um, that I see, there's just, they're always looking for the next breakthrough, right? <laughs> and it's kind of the wrong way to look at it. And, and I understand what they're going through because I went through it the same way, right? So you're plateaued and you're looking for that break and it is what it is, but it's, uh, it's more about the small things that you do on a regular basis. So, you know, I don't read a lot of golf stuff. I don't read a lot of golf books. I used to, you know, I'd like to Ritella and some of the psychological part of things when I yeah. was going through, you know, uh, my stuff. And, you know, I was lucky to be on the Canadian national team where we work with Dana Sinclair, who she's, she's a killer. Right. And, and um, so like I got some ideas that I can bounce off some people and um, but now I read more habits and, you know, compounding structures and certain things that you do. So I'm reading this interesting book now, you should check it out. This dude's name is James Clear. Uh, it's called Atomic Habits. So it's just the power of the 1%. Right. Okay. So, and now like every hockey team, every competitive hockey and basketball program in Ontario, that's it's, uh, you know, if it's Orangeville prep or Victus Academy for, for hockey, it's all these guys are constantly doing the 1%, right? So it's just be 1% better every day. Right. Yeah. So it's just forming good habits. That's all it is. Right. So he's got a pretty, pretty cool, interesting things that he talks about. It's like, you know, the power of 1% is a compounding interest, right? It's the same thing. So imagine you get 1% through this pandemic as I've been, I've been blasting my kids nonstop with FaceTime and emails and texts going like, just do a little bit more, just do a little bit more. So, you know, coming from, you know, the corporate world, it's the same thing. It's just one more sales call, one more, this one more, this, that's how you become successful. It's a, it's a power of building, you know, little tiny habits that in time grow to be something else, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, so, you know, he, he gives this, uh, this cool little, little chart, we're talking about 1%. So say we start year one, day one out of 365 days, 
and we're going to go 1% better one uh, each day, right? So it's, we're going to hit it a couple extra putts, or we're going to focus on a little bit of this, or we're going to do a few extra push-ups, or we're going to do a few extra stretches, or we're going to go for a little bit of a run or whatever. It's just that 1% every day to get better, right? So that compounds and every single time, right? It's day two. Now you're at 101, right? So then 1% 1 of 101, and then you're, you continue to going. And it's the same with the opposite. If you don't do anything through this pandemic, I've been telling the juniors and the kids, well, then you're going to lose that 1%, right? Where I'm working a little bit harder or people that are in, you don't need, you know, foresight. You can use a piece of hockey tape to draw a line and just hit putts all day on a piece of carpet or hardwood or whatever yeah. it is, right? Mm -hmm. so you can find your own drills. And that's part of a cool thing that we've been doing is indoor drills, but, you know, 1% less. So you start at 100 and then we go 1% decrease. You're at 99% and then 1% decrease from 99. You keep going after 365 days, you started at, at a full 100, you're at 0.03% if you decrease 1% every day, right? So you're basically down to absolute zero. So you've gained nothing. You've actually hurt yourself and lost all of that work or, or the same thing. It's same as trying to get fit, right? If you get fit the one day, you eat a salad, you're not going to get skinny, but you do it for 365 days, you're going to see a significant improvement, right? So you know, same thing. And if you compound 1% every day in positive, you do a little bit extra, a little bit extra at the end of 365 days. Now we're at 37 times that. Mm. Right? So we went from 1% less to 0 0.03 to now 1% better every day. And you're at 37 times. So there is a massive curve, right? And it just, it's this huge J curve that just completely spikes up. And that's where you see people become successful in golf. I talked about that three week to four week period of getting comfortable, I'm not saying success. That's we're talking about the 10,000 hours and that constant journey of, of doing the same structures, the same things over and over, having that belief in that system, that reoccurring thing. And then all of a sudden you get to college in a year, year and a half and your putter is rock solid. Your chipping is rock solid. Your ball striking is rock solid. Then you're improving those one little puzzle piece that come in and out instead of huge color pieces, you know, kind of all of a sudden coming off the board. I love that, man. I, I mean, I look at, yeah, I was thinking of an analogy as you were saying that, and it's, it's almost like you have a bank account every day and, you know, a habit bank account and you start at zero dollars and it resets every day. And it maybe goes into another fund. And, it, you know, if you if you make that one percent improvement, you get one dollar. If you don't right. do anything, then you, you get a dollar taken from you. And soon enough, you can be in debt. Uh, and 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 or if you keep working at it, then you'll have some savings. Right. And that's it kind of reminds me similar to what my coach, Ralph Bauer, talked to me about growing up was he, he always talked about sleep. Uh, sleep was, and he called it a sleep bank, right? And, and the more and more you, the more and more you had nights where you slept more than eight hours, the more you add to your sleep bank, you can afford maybe, you know, if you put in 14 days of good sleep, you can afford two nights where you maybe don't sleep the best, right? So yeah, I'm, I'm going to definitely check out that book, man. That's good. And I, th I think you answered my next question, which is, you know, what do you say to the client who comes to you uh, with the same problem every week? And I'd probably, I'd, I'd imagine it'd be the small incremental improvements. Anything else you'd like to add to that? Yeah, just, uh, you know, it's annoying, but it's just structure. It's just that nobody mm. wants to hear it. It's hard work. There's only one common thing with people that are successful is they're hard workers, right? Some people fall into it with dumb luck or, or incredible skill or whatever it is, but it's not sustainable. That's a very short term success rate, right? But when we talk about 
you know, the Crosby's and the McDavid's of the world. Do you think they were out, you know, partying, drinking, chasing girls? They wanted to, of course, testosterone's pumping and, but they had an opportunity and, and those are the guys. And I was on the other side of that, right. Where I enjoyed life a little bit too much and, and, you know, Hey, I was living it. I was traveling and life was great. So, you know, I was distracted and, and uh, it's amazing when you see some of these guys on, on the tour, there's just one common denominator. The dudes just grind all day, every day. They work hard. You know, you look at DeChambeau and I, I love what Kepka said about him, right? And, and you can be a fan of one or the other, but, um, you know, obviously one's a bit of on the nerd side and the data analytical side and the other guy's a jock, right? And just, you know, natural raw talent because he looks good. He's big. He's this, you know, and um, two completely different specters. But what DeChambeau did to his body and the work ethic and the you can just see it day in and day out. He's the last guy in the range. He, he's mm -hmm. got a system. He's got structures that he believes in that his coaching staff believes in and he follows them to a T he never breaks. He doesn't miss a workout. You know, even that a couple of weeks ago there where he thought he missed the cut, he flew home instead of catching the first flight. He's like, whatever, I'm going to, I'm going to hit some balls. I'm going to get my lift in and then I'm going to go back. Right. I'm going to. Yeah. Well, that's, going, I love that story. That, that's so cool. And uh, I think that's a really, you know, a good message because you, you know, you got to a super high level with your game. I was looking at your competitive resume and, and you even said that at times that you didn't push the, you know, hit the, hit the gas pedal enough. Right. And, um, I think that those guys at the highest level are so misunderstood for what they, what it actually takes. And, you know, I think the guy that stands out to me, a recent example was Dustin Johnson and the leading up until he won at Augusta. A lot of people saw Dustin as this guy who was a partier because there was rumors that, you know, he, he was into cocaine when he was younger and he partied right. a lot. And, you know, the, we know all the rumors that went on with DJ um, and just his image, you know, being more of a relaxed seeming guy it just seems like he's the type of guy who would go to the beach every day and relax but he's he's putting in hours that no one really wants to put into right uh, put in and I think that uh, that's where I think Canadian golfers can have an advantage because we don't maybe have a beach to go to or we don't have you know uh, especially right now there's no party scene to go to right so it's there's going to be I think it's going to be a reshuffling of the deck. Uh, I'm not super familiar with the competitive scene in Canada right now. I'm starting to become more acquainted to it, but I'd imagine there's going to be a huge shuffling of the deck where guys that are coming are going to come out of nowhere uh, that, you know, are going to shock people. And then there's guys that should be, we think maybe should be at the top and they're going to completely drop off, which I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited to see that because there's going to be some people that, you know, are really going to start to apply that more. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You know, and you're talking about, we don't have any beaches and stuff, but it's, uh, it's so funny what we can convince ourselves to, to do, you know, like, uh, you know, instead of doing that one extra little thing, it's like, ah, I'm just going to watch some Netflix. Right. So there's always different avenues and there's always different things that you can choose. Right. So having some, uh, you know, holding yourself accountable, I thought obviously writing things down and certain goals and systems and that kind of stuff. That's really important, right? Just making sure that you check that stuff off because it's so easy to get lazy and it's so easy to fall into that trap to go into the wrong direction, right? And to your point about Dustin, uh, to reiter reiterate that, you know, the, I was in Los Angeles for, for a couple months when the pandemic started here, uh, or well, we went back into lockdown. So January, February, and March, I was in, I was in LA and my, uh, my best buddy that got me into golf, he's in a very fortunate situation and he plays at Sherwood where Gretzky and, and Dustin play. Right. Down, so, down in California. Yeah. 
Oh, I love that course. That's such a cool Yeah, spot. it's awesome. Yeah. That's where this Ozo was with Tiger's tournament, right? Yeah. Cantley, Cantley played unbelievable. So, uh, and now like the Gretzky's and DJ's, they've shifted back into Florida, but they're, they're still in California. But he talks about it all the time. He's like, I'll go out and I'll play around a golf and DJ's out there practicing, hitting 50-yard wet shots. And then I'll come through nine and DJ's hitting 50-yard wet shots. And then I'll come through 18 and DJ's hitting 50-yard wet shots. So he's there with a purpose and a plan. And he's he's got his own systems and his own things that he's working on with his coach. And um, But it's amazing, the, the work ethic, right? So yeah. I, li- I lived in, in Scottsdale for a couple of years. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to to play a couple of really nice courses. I was, I was a member at Fire Rock, but you know, the times that I went to Whisper Rock were all the PGA Tour players there. They were just there grinding as if it was like a time warp where I was, you know, a junior with all of my buddies chipping, pitching, whatever. They're there, they're doing a job, they're working hard, they're structured. You know, they're not just there goofing off and hey, there's always times for that, but they mm-hmm. get their work in there. They know what they're weaknesses are or they know what they're working towards and they know they have an opportunity so you know it's just a pretty crazy scene on tour where you make two million dollars and you lose your job so there's a lot up for grabs there definitely is yeah and i think it's an important message for young kids in canada to really understand that especially with the climate that we have you know it only being a seven to eight month season where you know you you, you maybe put the clubs away metaphorically in the winter because there's snow on the ground but it's a um to, to kind of summit that mountain, you know, go from base camp to the top. It's, it's a, it's a daily process. It's, I, I really like what Tiger said when the pandemic started um, and, you know, they just asked him like, what's your mentality right now? And, and he said probably the most military thing that I've ever heard, but it was so true. And he's like, it's just meal by meal. You know, yeah. he's literally taking it. He, he's thinking, you know, he's thinking about what he needs to do between breakfast and lunch and then lunch and dinner. And, you know, he's putting in time. And I'm sure he's applying that right now. And I'm sure we're going to see him in a year from now back. And I yep. wouldn't be surprised if, you know, for all the haters out there, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we see him win at Augusta again, yeah. um, because he's just got that. It's just bred into him. And I think it's a mentality that I think personally, it's a mentality that can be learned because I was a, a lazy ass growing up and I, I've slowly started to learn that mentality and then transfer that. And I've seen people who have been able to adopt that. So I think there's a part of it that's born into you. But I also think there's a part of it that it can be learned, right? So for people who do feel, you know, maybe like they're lazy or they don't put that time in, I think it's something that if you're willing to just sort of force yourself, you know, into that uncomfortable feeling on a daily basis, you can kind of mold yourself into that. You know, it's a, a for sure. It, it, it is. There, there's a lot of learned behaviors, right? So mm. um, we all struggle with certain things and especially if it's certain things that we don't want to do, right? So, you know, uh, for me, you got to find a system that works. And for me, especially through this pandemic, you know, I I wrote up my goals, certain things, you know, uh, break it down to what I want to do and just create yourself a little schedule. And it it doesn't have to be full military like Tiger, because I imagine he's very, very strict, but that's what it takes to be at the top. Right. And, and if it's, um, if it's just meal planning or prepping, or if it's certain practice or related things, or, you know, to fill my time, I'm trying to learn how to play guitar and, and I'm finding a lot of similarities to uh, to golf, right? You plateau really quickly and you get really frustrated. Then you step away. And then all of a sudden the next day or the next hour, you pick it up and you try the same thing. And then you, you rip through it and you're like, what? The like, how did that happen? Right. But, you know, you step away. Sometimes you just get too involved and too hyper-focused on something and you look at the bigger picture. So, 
you know, for me, I have a bunch of these things written down weekly of how many hours I want to accomplish on each thing. If it's full swing, putting, chipping, pitching, working out, running, whatever. And then I have my little calendar that's on my counter. You can have it on your fridge or wherever you see it. And mm -hmm. I like to check things off. And at the end of the week, I hold myself accountable. How did I do? Right. So, you know, I, I, I missed two runs. That's, you know, I say half an hour runs. I'm like, well, I better go for an hour run or I'm not going to complete my stats. So, you know, the moment you let yourself slip on anything, you don't just continue to let yourself keep slipping. So yeah. mm -hmm. you know, the more you structure things and write them out and hold yourself accountable, it doesn't have to be crazy at the beginning, start really slow to gain that, you know, success. And, you know, uh, I read David Goggins book last year and he's all about that, all about structure and accountability mirror. So, you know, uh, when I, I came home from vacation last year and I was, I was pretty heavy and uh, you know, I carry it well cause I'm pretty, pretty tall, but I was like, all right, enough of this bullshit. I'm, I'm doing a cardio month. I'm doing an accountability mirror. Like Goggins said, and I'm going to write mm -hmm. it in every single day. You know, I'm going to rip one of those, uh, those pieces off my mirror because I accomplished it until the end of the month. And then where there's going to be nothing on my mirror. So, you know um, it's just, you start small and whatever it is for you, but you got to start somewhere, right? No one's going to give you anything. And you got to, you got to put the hard work in, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. No one, you know, no one's coming to save you right at the end of the day. And uh, that's great that you brought up David Goggins. I've actually listened to his audiobook twice now. And uh, I started listening to him on Joe Rogan. And uh, I think like, as I was listening to it, I just, you know, went out for some crazy run and shredded my knees and I'm like, Oh, I'm a golfer. I should, I should chill on that. But no, it's a, I think it's a good message that there's, you know, I think there's a misconception with golfers that, you know, all they do is golf, but I think, you know, having all these cross training, uh, you know, layers into your game, it really helps with just, you know, kind of, if you put yourself into deep waters in, in practice, when the actual tournament comes and, and the time to perform comes, it doesn't seem as, as intimidating, right? Because you will get to that, that moment in, in the, um, in the competitive space where it's either the first tier coming down the stretch leading a tournament where it feels, you know, bigger than you. Yeah. But I think if you've, if you've kind of, you know, submitted yourself over and over again, that's why I really like um, watching um, uh, mixed martial arts, even jujitsu UFC right. is those guys. I, I like watching their training a lot too, because they'll, you know, the, the guy who's at the top of the world in, in jujitsu has probably been submitted a thousand times, right? Like you sure. fail upwards and you keep failing upwards and eventually, you know, through all those, mundane hours you put in you find a little bit of gold right and that's kind of what you hold on to and I think that's what everyone as a golfer if you want to enjoy the game the most that's the mentality I think that allows you to enjoy it at the highest level right I, I agree there's a lot of great messaging if you like jujitsu I don't know if you've read BJ Penn's book no, I never have, but um, yeah, it's, it's really okay. good. So he's he obviously Hawaiian, you would know, but for for mm -hmm. those that don't, uh, Hawaiian, very, very troubled start to his life, right? Yeah. He was he was in trouble all the time. He was he was a punk and it is what it is. And then he found mixed martial arts and he found jujitsu and he was the, actually the first uh, non-Brazilian to win uh, like Brazilians top jujitsu rank, right? So it was pretty amazing what he's gone through and and the sacrifices and the changes and the things that he implemented throughout his childhood to his, you know, uh, young adulthood to become successful and become a world champion. It's uh, wow. um, some pretty amazing stuff where a lot of it's correlated to golf, right? So it's an endless, endless pursuit jujitsu, right? Where you're just never going to be the best. There's always something else. There's always different moves. There's always ways that you control your breathing and you control different things and similar to golf, right? There's, it's, it's, it's a game that, uh, you'll just never be able to perfect, right? No one will ever shoot 18. 
And um, it's just one of those fun pursuits that obviously if you're gonna do something, then you better continue to try and have processes in place that are gonna at least make it a little bit easier on yourself to, to, to get, become successful. Yeah, no, that, I'm going to check that out. I think that's a, that's probably a great read for any golfer who maybe feels like they're they're a bit of an outsider, right? Like knowing jujitsu, a Hawaiian winning um, the world championships, that's like a, a hockey player from Mexico, you know, winning um, gold medal, right? Like it's, or, you know, winning the Stanley Cup, right? Like it's it's not their game, but that that's pretty cool. Because I think there's probably a lot of golfers out there that maybe feel like an outsider or they're not, you know, from from the country club. They don't have the funding, uh, they, you know, they're an outsider, but there's so many examples of guys that, you know, the most famous one I think would be Lee Trevino, who was, you know, grew up you know, in a dirt floor as a grave dig, as a grave digger with his grandpa, became a caddy and then slowly kind of worked his way in, into the game from the under, uh, right. from the, from, from the back end, Right. So, uh, that's a good resource. Yeah. Any other resources you'd recommend just to kind of close out for people to learn from that you, you've found inspiration from? Um, yeah, not really. You know, it's, um, and it's, that's another thing on my list weekly is just to read more. Right. And it's, uh, when I get into it, like when I'm on vacation and stuff, I, I'll go through two books, but when mm-hmm. I'm at home and if life is busy, it's just, there's so many other things, right. I'd rather watch the playoffs and then read and that, and it's like, you know, we're guilty of, of just diving into those impulses that feel good and want. So it's like the more you structure yourself, the more you find time for certain things, right? So you find time to read if it's in the morning or certain things. So there's always just uh, different books and stuff. But again, like I said, I don't read too much golf stuff. And, and if you love golf, you know, uh, the, the match is one of my favorite books and it's just, uh, yeah. But, um, you know, the majority of the times I read more like these compounding habit books and, you know, certain like, even direct sales books where you learn so many different strategies and stuff. And, and it's not to become like a con artist per se, but it's just more about like human nature and understanding people and understanding. So, you know, when I worked, uh, you know, in, in sales, we did all these amazing things like, like the Myers-Briggs and a couple different things to understand your own personality. And I took a lot from those things. Not, not so much me, cause I always pretty much knew who I was, but mm-hmm. it was more about understanding other people, right? So, you know, uh, if you're mirroring yourself onto somebody else, but they're, you know, an introvert and I'm extremely social and a very strong extrovert, like that's just not going to work, right? So, you know, uh, that, that really helped me understanding people's learning patterns and understanding who they were. So the moment I saw someone in a first lesson and they're a little bit more reserved or a little bit more shy then you know, it's a little bit easier understanding what kind of communication styles that they need and that they, they respond to and resonate with. And that's really helped me just kind of understanding people. So I really enjoy reading those kind of books just uh, and again, that's just only going to help you in life in every situation in social situations or not. And um, so those are the kind of things that I, that I kind of jump on board now. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Finding inspiration away from the course. I love it. Mm-hmm. Sure. So uh, I'll, I'll link in the, in the show notes where people can find you and stuff. Um, but yeah, man, I just want to say thank you so much yeah, for my uh, coming on. And- so that's it for today. If you're looking to connect with Victor online, I'd re- recommend checking out his Instagram. It's called VCGCC Golf. You'll find him on there. You can ask him questions about his instruction out of Golf, Golf and Country Club. Best of luck to everyone and happy golfing. And I just want to say thank you so much for enjoying the show. If you're enjoying the show, please let me know. If there's any topics that you'd like me to cover in the future, I'd definitely be interested in hearing more about that. You know, to me, this podcast is not limited to just one 
you know, stream of advice. I like to talk about biomechanics, mental game, fitness related to golf, short game. It really is, you know, what, what is going to make you improve the most for your game. So again, please leave a rating on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your podcasts and share it up. Best of luck.